Good, good morning. Happy New Year to you. I get to tell you Happy New Year this morning since Julie and I were out last week. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Happy New Year. And, uh, you know, speaking of last week, I, I feel like I would ask you if you would join me in saying a major thank you to the preacher last weekend. Joe Richard stood on this stage. I thought he did a good job. I thought he did a great job, actually. And I realize I'm biased, but, you know, just because you're biased doesn't mean you're wrong. So I, I was very, I was, I don't know, as a pastor, I was grateful, but as a dad, I was, I was pretty proud of the boy. I thought he did a really, really good job. I think Joe did a great job of teeing up for us this new year. If you missed his message, it was called Strength in Stubbornness. If you missed it, you ought to go back and watch it online because it really, really is a great message and a great kickoff to 2023. You know, the new year gives all of us, no matter what happened in 22, no matter where you've been or what you've done or what has been done to you, the new year gives every single one of us a fresh opportunity to, to recalibrate our priorities and to reevaluate our progress, to, to be able to say, are we really and truly taking ground on the things that matter most? What, what is it that we're prioritizing in our lives? And this new year, will really come down to one thing. No matter what your opportunities, no matter what your obstacles, no matter where you have been or where you are going, 2023, just like every single day of our lives, will come down to one thing, decisions. The decisions you make, the decisions I make, determine our direction, and our direction determines our destination. I don't, I don't really like to use the word destiny, although it's used in the Bible from time to time. It's been so co-opted in our culture that it, destiny kind of has this, this ethereal woo-woo vibe to it. I like destination. I, I like directions for where God is leading, who he has called us to be and what he's called us to do. And it's our decisions that determine our direction, the, the trajectory of our travel if you will, the, the joy that we have in the journey, the, the purpose in our passage, all of it comes down to the decisions that you and I make on a day-in and day-out basis. And so that's why we're kicking off this new year with this teaching series, Pros and Cons, Decision-Making for Geniuses. I want you to turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face, tell him, you are a potential genius. Now, I want to get you, turn back to that same one and tell them, no, I really mean it. <laughs> you know, the, the end of the college and pro football season always brings with it what is known as the coaching carousel. As, as coaches are fired in one spot, hired in another, and, and what, it's really this, this game of coaching musical chairs that happens from team to team is one coach leaves a position, whether he's fired or he takes another one, someone else has to be hired and uproot his family, his staff, his staff's families to come fill that spot. And on and on it goes, and it dominoes in the coaching carousel. Well, this year, the highest profile name on the coaching carousel is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, who is the head coach at the University of Michigan, this is a guy, by all, by all accounts, he's a pretty intense fella. 
Uh, he's won everywhere he's ever coached. He won at San Diego State. If you can get people to be motivated in San Diego, you're a good coach. He won at San Diego State. He won at Stanford. Those jobs and his, his performance there got him hired in the NFL of the San Francisco 49ers where he went to a Super Bowl. And then his alma mater, the University of Michigan, Big Blue, called him back to be the head coach, and he went back. But right now, the rumor mill is humming that Harbaugh is leaving Michigan to go back to the NFL. There's one report that the Denver Broncos are ready to pay him $20 million a year. Now, right now, he's only making seven. I don't know how he's doing it. That's a cost of living adjustment. But one sports commentator had a really unique take on Harbaugh's situation. And I want to I share it with you because I think it sets us up for where we're going in this series really, really well. Check this out. The other thing is, and I believe this to be true, I think about stuff like this all the time. Um, stay in a job that allows you to be the best version of yourself. So you have to have some self-examination. What are your weaknesses as a human being? You're driving around listening to me. What are you really good at and what are you not good at? If you make most of your life decisions, I live by this, I think about it all the time, doing things that are the best version of me. I have things I don't do well, things I do pretty well. I think Harbaugh's actually better for college. Why? Because he gets the Michigan brand. He can dominate the Big Ten mostly. He can clearly recruit. He gets to control the personnel. He doesn't have a, a power-hungry general manager or a petulant quarterback making $50 million a year. He doesn't have a salary cap to deal with or a zany billionaire owner who gets in a bad mood because they had a, uh, you know, one of his companies goes belly up and now he wants to tell Harbaugh how to run his team. Stay in jobs, seek jobs, maintain jobs that are the best version of you. Now that, of course, is Colin Cowherd on Fox Sports 1. And while clearly Colin is not teaching a, a Bible study or a theology class, the point that he makes is more profound, I would suggest, than even he realizes. Stay in a job that allows you to be the best version of yourself. We, we could paraphrase that or co-opt it to say, make decisions that allow you to be the best version of yourself. Now, that obviously begs the question, what's the best version of yourself? What, what's the best version of myself? And the answer is, the best version of who we are is who God Almighty has created us to be, who he's calling us to be. That's the best version of who you will ever be. I think a lot of times we, we think, well, this is just how I am. I was just born that way. Have you ever said that to yourself or tried to convince somebody else? I was just born that way. This is just me. I will just tell you from my own experience, usually when I pull that one out of the hat, I'm desperate. That is the mark of a desperate man or woman. This is just me. That means I don't need to change. I don't want to change. I ain't gonna change. This is just me. No, 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 no. The best version of you is who God created you to be, who God has called you to be. 
I want you to do so. I want you to help me preach this sermon and turn to your neighbor again with a smile on your face and New Year's passion in your heart and tell them, you're a pro. Now, turn back to the same person and also with a smile on your heart, a smile on your face and love in your heart. Tell them, maybe. Here's what I mean by a pro. A professional, spiritually speaking, a professional is one who professes faith in Christ through decisions. One who professes their faith through their decisions. In, in what we decide, what we say, what we do, even what we want, that is a profession of our faith. And as such, when we correlate our faith and our actions, we are being professional. We're professing what we believe about God and what, that we believe God, what God says about us. That means you're a pro at that point. That means that as followers of Christ who are professing our faith in our choices and decisions, that means we are putting away amateur Christianity. We're putting away amateur mindsets, amateur words, amateur actions, amateur wants and desires. If you were to just look at the life of Jim Harbaugh from the perspective of the world, the world would go seven million, 20 million. I got your answer. It's not even close. Now, I will say this. If you don't consider the difference of 13 million, you're not paying attention. I'm not saying you ignore it, but it's not the final arbiter. The final arbiter of any decision you make, any decision I make, comes back to our faith. It comes back to our relationship with Christ. We, we put away all of the amateur junk that clutters up our lives. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. This is one of those passages of scripture that we need to sear into our souls. You know, when you, when you sear a steak, you, you lock in the juices, you lock in the flavor, you lock in the good stuff. This is something that needs to be seared into our souls. And I want you to read the highlighted words on the screen with me as I read them out loud. Read out loud with me the highlighted words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means that you make the choice, you make the decision to trust God more than you trust yourself, more than you trust your feelings or your emotions in any one given moment, more than you trust the world around you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Anybody here know that our understanding is finite? Is your understanding finite? If, you, if your understanding is finite, just raise your hand. Okay, cool. That's, that's most of us. And by most of us, I mean every single one of us. We need wisdom beyond our own. Lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, acknowledge him. 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Memorize that, sear that, own that, live that reality in our decision making. It starts with God. It starts with trusting him. It becomes a profession of my faith. And as I make decisions that draw me closer and closer to who God has created me to be, what he's called me to do, same for you, as we do that, we become more and more professional. We're declaring who God is and what he means to us and what we believe about him and what we believe about ourselves and the world and each other. That's when we become pros. On the other hand, if our choices take us away from God, if our choices take us away from what he's created us to be, what he's called us to do, in those cases, we're actually contradicting God. We're actually presenting a a cheap facsimile of who he created us to be. We're, We're presenting something that's not original. It's not authentic. It is, in fact, a counterfeit version of who God created us to be. By definition, if it's a counterfeit, it's a fraud. We're conning other people, and ultimately, we're conning ourselves. So decision-making, pros and cons, is not just about pluses and minuses. It's about who God's created you to be, who he's created me to be. So as we think about decisions ahead of us, decisions in this new year, all of a sudden, pros and cons takes on a much, much deeper, deeper context. Look at Psalm 51, verse 6. In Psalm 51, 6, the Bible says this, Behold, you, God, desire truth in the innermost being, and in secret you will make wisdom known to me. You desire truth in the innermost place, like when it's all said and done, when it's quiet. Bless you. There's no phone ringing. We're not scrolling through the gram. We're not helping the Chinese government on TikTok. (laughs) But when we're quiet before God, in that moment, in that place, God just wants us to be real, to be truthful. You desire truth in the innermost being. And the truth of the matter, you know, Jim Harbaugh may be better suited for college football. It may be better for your life to let a career opportunity pass you by. It may be better to take on an added assignment at work for a period of time that allows you more freedom on the other end of it but doesn't cost you your relationships long term. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstances, whatever decision you face, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about the need for wisdom beyond our own. Here's a working definition of wisdom that we're going to use throughout this series. Wisdom is the appropriate application of God's principles in practice. The appropriate application of God's principles in practice. 
Now, it's very possible to take a principle of God and apply it inappropriately. But wisdom says we, we take the principles of God, what he has given to us biblically and scripturally, and we apply them appropriately in practice. We, we, we develop the skill of applying the wisdom of God day in and day out. Now, every decision we make matters, but some matter more than others. You know, the fact of the matter is, it matters what you eat for lunch. Now, today's lunch probably is not life or death, but a series of lunches could be, depending on where you are. This past week, we watched on Monday Night Football as a young man collapsed on a field with a heart attack. This guy is in the top 0.001% of the planet in physical fitness. And when we went to bed Monday night, we didn't know if he would make it. Now, by the grace of God and through the skill of some incredible medical care, he's doing much, much better. But it struck me that night how fragile life is. I think it's important for us as we think about decisions to remember, we're not guaranteed the next breath. We're not. And, and it's easy for me to take that for granted. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not 23 playing in the NFL, but I'm, I'm 56 years old. My body fat is about 3%. And <laughs> give or take. And so the decisions that I make really do matter. The decisions I make about how to treat my wife, Julie. The decisions I make about what to preach on. The decisions I, every decision matters. Look at Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. We're going to wade into, actually, we're diving into deep waters. You don't wade in these waters. You have to swim. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, fear is a tricky thing. Fear is a tricky thing because it has so often been used as a weapon against us. It's been used as a weapon against us so often that sometimes we can forget some fear is actually healthy and appropriate. For example, we should fear crossing a highway where people are traveling at 75 miles an hour, but not to the extent that we never cross traffic or never leave the house and get out in the flow ourselves. We should fear failure at work to the extent that it motivates us to do our best to glorify God, to provide for our families, that fear is appropriate and right. It's appropriate for me as a husband to fear hurting Julie, disappointing Julie, making Julie mad. That's, that's, that's okay to fear that and to know that it's a bad idea, stay away from it. It's appropriate, it's healthy. That fear that's healthy and appropriate and God-honoring 
is a part of every relationship you're a part of. It should be, but, but to keep it in check. And where God is concerned, it is appropriate and healthy to fear disappointing God. It is appropriate and healthy to fear the judgment of God. Now, we know that in Christ, we have been forgiven. We are marked as clean. We are counted as forgiven. So we don't have to fear that, but it's appropriate to fear angering God. The, God. the Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit through our actions, through our sin. I, I, I fear grieving God. That's, that's appropriate. One time when Joe was a little guy, Joe was probably in second grade or so, and I don't remember what he said, but I, I remember he said something in our kitchen that was uncharacteristically out of line. And I just kind of turned around and I looked at him. I said, come here. And I kind of got down on his level. I, I didn't yell in this instance. And, and I said, hey, Hoss, I better never hear that come out of your mouth again. Do you understand me? How many of us know how manipulative kids can be. How many of us know that in the room? Let me tell you what my little boy said in second grade. Joe goes, Dad, you're scaring me. I said, good. Don't do it anymore. Now, some of you are horrified. Just wait with me. Please, hold on. I said, go to your room. Sent him down there, and after a while, I went downstairs. He was done crying. And I went over and I sat beside him. I said, hey, Hoss, you good? He goes, yes, sir. I said, are we good? He goes, yes, sir. I said, now let me ask you a question. I said, how old are you? He looked at me like, you don't know that? He goes, seven. I said, right. I said, in your seven years on this earth, have either your mother or I ever hurt you in anger? He kind of looked at me and he got this little grin and side-eyed me a little bit and he goes, no, sir. I said, right. I said, so how about we take that you're scaring me trash and throw it away and never use it again, okay? He got it. He's like, yes, sir, I understand. He goes, hey, you want to go shoot hoop? Some fear is healthy and appropriate. In our lives, in our spiritual lives, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot access the wisdom of God without the fear of God. Again, healthy and appropriate fear. Remembering that God is love, remembering that God is good, and he is our judge. Those are all true. Those are all real. But that's where wisdom begins. Now, I've also noticed, I've done this before, and I've also noticed a huge trend in recent years. A lot of times when we're making decisions, people will say, Christian people will say, I feel led. I feel led to do A, B, or C, one, two, or three. But when you look at what they have felt led to do, 
It's in direct opposition to what God has said biblically. They've chosen to do things and, and they've tried to frame it within the context of, I feel led. I think we need to be very, very, very careful about feeling led. Does God lead? Yes. Period, hard stop. But we need to be really, really careful before we just throw that around all willy-nilly. Here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 about how we feel. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Have a good year. Thanks for coming. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. See, my heart can deceive me. Listen, I can talk myself into some nonsense in the blink of an eye.